Amen. I think that's one of my new favorite um, combos of Christmas songs. I love that one. Love that one. Well, good morning and happy December to you. Um, here it is, he says. Uh, it's so fun to see the Christmas decorations out. And um, thanks to, to Brenda. I don't, she was here at the 9 o'clock, I think. And, and, uh, and all the people who helped make this. Um, Krista and Mike and everybody for pulling us together. Thanks. You'll be able to see it even next week. So we, got a, we have a stage on the way. Um, we had been using the, the Shoreview stage um, at our own peril. It was in uh, pretty rough shape. And they asked if they could just throw that thing away. And uh, we said, well, sure, it's your stage. Um, do you mind if we get a stage so that people could see us a little bit better? And what we'll do is uh, if you let us store it here, um, we'll let you use it. And they said, deal. So we have a stage that's in Chicago, I think, on its way. But you'll be able to see the decorations next week. Um, hopefully what you can see, though, is that we're using the color blue. And if you're new to our church, you might be thinking, who are these guys? Don't they know the Christmas colors are green and red? And the reason we're going with blue is because uh, long ago, many Christians adopted the color blue for this, this, um, this time of year. It's not, uh, not necessarily the right way to do it, but many Christians around the, um, around the world from different denominations will use the color blue because it's a color of hope. And so when we come to this time of year and the hope of God was coming, Emmanuel, God with us, it's a, it's a, a great reminder. So you'll notice for um, uh, this season, we'll be using blue inserts. We have blue in the back. That's what that's all about because blue is the color of hope. And boy, as Jennifer prayed and as I sure believe, this is a time where we need hope. You know, as a, as a dad, as a pastor, um, there are some trends that I see that are not hope-producing trends. Here's just a, a couple of them that I'm acutely aware of. Number one, one of the trends that has me concerned, and, and not in a hopeful way, is that children are rarely unplugged. Now, it concerns me that adults are rarely unplugged. It concerns me that teens are rarely unplugged. It especially concerns me that kids are almost always in front of a screen, whether it's a small one or a big one. Um, here's a passage that, that, that is heavy on my heart when I think about that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words, here's, here's the tie-in. These words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Back in the day, what, what was the way where values were passed on to the next generation? It was parents, right? Families. Think, of, think about the way this is written. It's saying, you know, hey, hey parents, hey, families, pass these things on. When, when you're sitting at home, talk about them. When you're walking, talk about them. When, when, in fact, put in your house different signs and symbols so that everywhere these kids go, these messages that I'm giving you become part of them. Today, when, when kids rise, what's, what's in front of their eyes? Today, when, right before kids go to bed, what's in front of their eyes? Today, when they're at home, what are they watching? Today, when they're going on their way, what, what are they saying? And what are the messages they're consuming hour after hour after hour after hour after hour? From Hollywood and Madison Avenue. All right. You can tell as a dad that's pretty passionate about that one. Um, here's a couple other ones. I'll just kind of more throw these out real quickly. Some other trends that do not fill me with hope. A harmful media, it's not only out there, it's searching for you. 
If you have a trouble spending money, you need to know there is media that is targeted on you, coming after you all the time, trying to say, spend it here. Um, I've made this comment many times before. It used to be that if a guy struggled with pornography, he had to go looking for it. Today, it comes looking for him. And certainly, there's people out there pretending to be someone they're not. They're searching for ways they can get at you. Um, Number three, people can steal your money without breaking into your home or bank. I just had that happen. We uh, got the phone call from Visa Card Services. So, did you just book a hotel in North Carolina? Didn't just book a call in North Carolina. Book a hotel in North Carolina. That was, that was fun. A couple weeks. Um, number four, network TV. Some of you, this is going to trigger a news story from this week. Network TV is getting so bad that actors are now referring to their own shows as filth. Did you hear about this? Two and a Half Men. There's this actor. His name's Agnes Jones, I believe. He's on a show called uh, Two and a Half Men. Early in the week, the story broke that he had done an interview. And in the interview, he said, my show is filth. And he even went on to say, you should, you should go and research what watching shows like mine does to your brain. And then there was a quick retraction after his handlers uh, said, do you realize what you just did? But, but how bad is it when, when the actors on the shows are saying, you know, the show I'm on is filth and it'll melt your brain. Uh, don't watch it. Um, I saw another, I read another article along those lines on that, that idea of, of if you think things are getting worse, they are on TV. Um, I read another article where, uh, they did a study, and they said pixelated nudity on network TV, primetime network TV, is up 407%. And that's not over the last decade. That's over the last season. 407%. So if you think, boy, I don't like that trend. It is a trend. Number five, this is concerning. Not that it was ever good for terrorists to kidnap, but terrorists are choosing to kill rather than kidnap. They're not even bothering many of them with the kidnapping part. Number six, our elected officials are not acting in the best interest of our nation. I mean, people could say that's always been the case, but it's, it's to the point of ridiculous. Number seven, incomes and assets are decreasing for folks while debt and expenses are increasing. That's not a good trend. Number eight, an increasing number of people, they're becoming dependent on entitlements while a decreasing number of people are paying for them. I'm not trying to make political statements here. I'm just saying I see trends that are concerning. Concerning for me as a parent, concerning as a pastor. And, and, and the reason I bring up these, these concerns is because we need hope. We need hope. And there are people that would look around from eyes that aren't Americanized and they'd say, that's your list? That's all you got? You know, because they're living in a situation where if they even profess a faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be thrown in prison, they're going to be murdered, whatever. And there would be people throughout history that said, that's all you got. Try growing up Europe in World War II. Try growing up during the Dark Ages. You could just keep going back through history. You could go any place in the world at any time, any period, and you could see that people need hope. And that's what we're going to press into for the next four weeks. I mean, hopefully we're always doing that. But in particular, we really want to focus in on hope. And hope that came in such a surprising form. Such a surprising form. And there's a place to write this down in your nice blue inserts. Here's something I encourage you. This question, this is the question that's going to frame our next four weeks. Why have millions of people separated by hundreds of years and thousands of miles, why have all these people found a common hope in the birth of a baby 
on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Why? What was it about that event? Well, let me give you the outline for the next four weeks. Here's, here's what we're going to be looking at for the next, uh, next three weeks, four total. Um, the reason there's, there's hope here, as we're going to look at in, in, one week, in a week from now, is that this baby was the promised son of David. And we're going to talk about why that brings us hope. And this baby arrived at the fullness of time and how there's, there's so much hope in that. And then number three, this will be our final week of the series, the baby made it possible for us to be born again. That's why we have hope. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. So what we're going to do today, instead of going into depth in any one of these, is I'm just going to give you a quick overview so you kind of have an idea of where we're going. And then we'll respond to that. And then in the following weeks, take, take these on one at a time. Well, let's just quickly touch on this idea that the baby was the promised son of David. That brings hope. That brings a lot of hope. Now, there's, we have what are called four Gospels in our Bible. And two of them, only two of them, really tell the birth of Jesus. Uh, John uses very poetic, he does talk about the birth, but it's more in poetic imagery where it's, there was the light that came into the dark world. But does anyone know the two Gospels where you read about the actual birth of Jesus? They are Luke, very good, and Matthew. <laughs> Bible scholars, Matthew and Luke. They're the two that, where you find the Bible stories. Now, what's interesting about the two is that they don't all tell the same stories. They don't all have all of the same accounts. Matthew emphasizes certain things. Luke emphasizes certain things. Matthew includes the information about these mysterious magi. And then Luke incur, includes the stories about angels visiting shepherds. So they don't all tell the same, uh, same accounts. They, they, they don't contradict each other, but they don't all share the same information. But they line up. Both of them thought it's worth mentioning, more than mentioning. It's worth emphasizing that Jesus was the son of David. Both Matthew, both, Mar, uh, both Matthew, both and Luke, both emphasize this idea that the baby was a promised son of David. Let's look quickly at the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles... Let's uh, open up here to Matthew uh, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 18. And I should say, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to send you home with one free today. We keep a stack of them there in the back. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just a man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I am excited to go into depth next week on, on this. This idea of, of, of the connection between the son of David and, and, and God with us. David, this person, this son of David, David is a king. He's a real person. He was a, he was a king of Israel. And we see that these things that we saw foreshadowed in David came to be true in a greater way in the life of Jesus. Here's just a couple examples of the son of David. The baby was the promised son of David. Like, uh, like uh, David, Jesus was a man after God's own heart. Unlike David, Jesus was always locked in on that. Jesus was a good shepherd. David, when he was young, was a shepherd. 
and when he was a king, I guess you'd say the same thing, but he was a, he was a good shepherd who would lead and care for God's people. And David is the one that was known for killing the giant. Well, in Christ, we have this giant killer who conquered sin and death. And then in Christ, we ultimately have the king of kings who will rule with mercy and justice. To us, a son is born in the city of David, a son of David, who is more than just a descendant. He was God with us. God with us. He is the good shepherd. He knows, hear this, he knows your name and your situation. He's a shepherd who knows your name and your situation. You need hope. You've got a shepherd who knows your name and your situation. And like a good shepherd, he wants to lead you through a dark valley. He wants to lead you to these still waters. And he can do that. He's also a giant killer. And he's bigger than any challenge you face. This little baby born in Bethlehem is bigger than any challenge you can face. And not only does he face them on our behalf, he sends his spirit to live and dwell in you so that you have the very power that raised Christ from the dead at work in your life to fight these battles on your behalf. And he's the king of kings. He's the king of kings who opened the gates to the kingdom of God. And that's a kingdom that begins now. It's a kingdom that continues in eternity. Into eternity. It's a kingdom where you don't need money to be rich or secure or content as we looked at this last series we were in. It's a kingdom. Let this sink in. It's a kingdom where your past sins are forgiven and separated as far from you as the east is from the west. That's hope, isn't it? If I was out there, I'd say amen because I've sinned greatly. And, but obviously you haven't. So. so that's just for me, I guess. All right. Get this. This is hope. I believe this is hope too. It, this kingdom that this king is bringing, this is a kingdom where morality isn't subjective. And you might say, well, why is that hopeful? It's hopeful for this, because then you don't have someone saying, well, this was right for me to do that to you. We have a common set coming from a good king who understands all, who says, no, this, and he's got the whole perspective, and he's able to say, no, this is right. This is wrong. And he teaches us how to interact and to treat one another and to experience the life that he created us to live. We have a king like that who was born in Bethlehem. And he's a king who, who's bringing into this kingdom where if you feel alone, if you feel alienated, he wants you to find a true family. That's what this king is bringing. And he's a king that's, that's, that's creating this kingdom where rich and poor, young and old, people of every tongue, tribe and nation, they're all invited to enter. That's the kingdom that this king is bringing. And here's why we have hope. He, this is a kingdom where one day this king, he's going to make sure there's no more evil in his kingdom and no more pain and no more tears and no more sickness and no more death. That's the kind of king that, that we see this son of David will become. And we're going to dig into that more next week. Well, in week three of our series, we're going to talk about this. This next one, this is going to be fun. Um, the baby arrived in the fullness of time. This one's going to be fun, uh, really, really fun. At least, at least I think it's going to be fun. Um, take a look at this, this passage that we find in an ancient letter to, uh, to the Galatians. It says this, as, as, as this person is looking back, he's looking back into to history and the significance of the birth of Jesus, he says this, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. This wasn't an arbitrary time. 
You know, why 2,000 years ago? Why Bethlehem? Why there? Why then? Because that was the fullness of time. And we'll go beyond some of the prophecies that normally people look at this time of year. We're going to look into some of the history. It's fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. Um, Let me just give you this quick little teaser. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And that all the world, it's so quick, we can just run right past that with our eyes. That all the world. What made it possible for a decree like this to even happen? All kinds of things. All kinds of things. For, for there even to be something called all the world that people could get a decree out to. The Roman government. Prior to the Roman government, there wasn't the systems of roads and travel that there was after the Roman government. In fact, it's really interesting. There was a guy who said, I, let's have a conversation about, about that one. Bruce uh, came up to me afterwards and said, he, he goes, let me give you this teaser. Why, why are train tracks 39 inches or whatever it was? He says, why is that? Roman chariots. The influence of Rome on connectivity, on transportation, on it, 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 it's so expansive. Even though Rome was occupying force, doing horrendous things, God used that. And then Alexander the Great, if you know your history, Alexander the Great swept through that area. He left behind a language. What language? Greek. And that language became a uniting Language. It was a language of commerce. It was a language that enabled people from different city-states to communicate freely with one another. What were the, the, the words that we just looked out of Luke? What were they written in? Greek. Fullness of time. Everything was as God said it was going to be. And needed was going to be. Needed it to be. Well, he, I shouldn't say needed it with God. All was as it should be for the word of God to spread. And the good news, the hope of this baby to be able to go and, and to spread. And here's the good news. The good news is this. This baby made it possible for us to be born again. That was the good news that then was able to spread throughout the world that we could be born again. In the life of Jesus, we catch glimpses of the kingdom that is yet to come. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. Jesus brought together people that would otherwise look at each other as enemies. And Jesus helped people ultimately find peace with God. This baby that was born was truly God with us. And by living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we deserve to die, he made it possible for us to be born again. I, this morning, as I was reflecting on my notes, I wrote some of these things down here in pencil on that because the, I made the connection between that and what I read earlier about Deuteronomy and how I'm concerned. You know, I'm, I, when I look at that trend of kids being filled with, hour after hour after hour with messages that are so unlike the good news that we have of, of Christ. And, and I look at that, and I just think how hopeless it is to take one hour on a Wednesday and a, one hour on Sunday and try to persuade people that that's not right. It just seems hopeless. But, but then, I believe the Holy Spirit revealed, wait a minute, it's hopeless to think otherwise any time. To think that your words can persuade a fallen heart, your words can persuade a fallen mind, whether or not it's being reinforced hours after hours, your only hope is for that person to be born again. For the Holy Spirit to come upon them and to give them a new heart and a new mind. That's the only hope we have. Everything else is an illusion. And this is the hope we have, that we can be born again. And those that we love can be born again, given new hearts, new minds that are oriented 
to the things of God. And although all these things are true of Jesus, we can miss it. We can miss it. But not everybody does. Here's an example of, of somebody that didn't miss it. This occurred, this is a historical event that occurred shortly after the birth of Jesus. And we read this from uh, also the book of Luke. Now there's a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And this man, he was righteous and devout. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God gave him that hope. And it says this, it says, He came in the Spirit into the temple. Let me hit pause there for a second. There's a reason why we spent time with that series on hearing God and really trying to be attentive and listening to God because God wants to put you in some really cool places and see some really cool things that you otherwise would have missed. It's all connected. And, and this man, because he was in the Spirit, he comes into the temple at the right time, the right place, and he knew when he saw parents bringing in this particular child to do according to him the custom of the law, he was able to, Simeon was able to take this child and actually hold the Christ in his arms, he blessed God and he said these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So this is a season where we can, we can see things. This is a season where we can pause and put our full attention to that baby and, and look at the hope we have and the circumstances that, that God orchestrated and used for the world's behalf. We can do that, and we cannot miss it. And we'll talk about how easy it is in a minute to miss it. But I also want to address there are some people that not only miss it, they actively work against it. And certainly, as you read in the, the, um, the biblical accounts, you see the, 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 the narrative of, of this leader named Herod the Great. And how Herod wanted to stop the Jesus movement before he even got started. Because he heard about the baby. And he heard what was being said about this baby. And so he wanted to have all the babies in that area killed. But there's a, uh, another uh, leader that I want, to, I want to give some insight in. And I think this is really fun. For those of you who, uh, who like facts to support your faith. You're going you're gonna to like this. All right, first, let me set the thing up. There's, in the scriptures, the reason we believe Jesus was born in some sort of place that housed animals comes from this passage in the, uh, in the scriptures. This is out of Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 3. It says this, In response to Caesar's decree, which we read earlier, all went out to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, and he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Here's, here's what's fun, and I just read this for the first time this year. Um, what's fun about this to me is there was this real cave cave slash grotto in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And it was next to this building. And the people of this building used that cave grotto to house animals. And there was so much buzz about that particular cave being the birthplace of Christ that people began to say, this is it. This is, and very, very early on. And what's particularly interesting here is that within 100 years, within 100 years, you've got a Roman emperor 
Hadrian. And this Roman emperor had heard about that buzz and felt so threatened about the buzz, about this particular cave, that he ordered a temple to Adonis to be built on that site. That's fascinating to me. And it's especially fascinating because so many people had told me that, well, Jesus, he probably was a guy. He was probably a rabbi and a good teacher. But what happened is over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, things got exaggerated. Things got uh, deified and mythified. And so that we have Jesus being venerated as a God much, much later. This is just one more piece of evidence that I would offer that says that's not the case at all. You had people right away so blown away by this life that they began recognizing this site as holy, as the birthplace of God with us. And you had a Roman government which had so many things to be concerned about within, what, 100 years of Jesus' death, trying to build a pagan temple on top of the site that the Christians considered holy. That's interesting to me. Something happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Something happened. And that's just not opinion. That's an historical fact. Because that's something that happened sent shockwaves throughout the world. It reached to Rome and beyond Rome. These shockwaves from this real event. And, and as we begin to read the scriptures and as we see how early some of those scriptures date, we begin to see that these people right away recognize that this birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and from that time on, they began proclaiming that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus was that son of David. Jesus was that good shepherd. Jesus was the king of kings. And because his birth occurred in the fullness of time, the good news began to spread rapidly around the world. That God had walked among us. God was with us. He had visited our planet. And through his death and resurrection, he made a way for us to live forever. So, so here's the question that I want us to, to be asking ourselves as we try to respond to this. This Christmas, are we really focusing in on that hope? Is that what we're really focusing in on? You know, I was convicted as I was working through these scriptures that, that the Roman government couldn't keep people from celebrating and focusing on the hope they had in Christ. They tried to squish it out. And even though Hadrian built a, a pagan uh, shrine there on that site, guess what another Roman emperor did a couple hundred years later? Built a Christian, Christian church on that site. And you can go there today, and you can see that cave. Rome couldn't stamp this out, but you know what could stamp it out? You know what could keep us from Christ this Christmas? Being too busy. Roman government can't do it. The world can't do it for, for all its power and might. But us being too busy could. Because we can get so caught up with all our distractions and so caught up with running this way and that way and the other thing that we can fail to pause and reflect and soak in the wonder of this moment. And even though the Roman government couldn't keep us from, from hearing of this Jesus, and celebrating his birth, you know, your visa bill could keep you from having Christ this Christmas. 
if you just play along with what the world says to do this time of year and spend it now because you're getting a good deal. And then you're stressing instead of experiencing this life that we can have in Christ, this contentment, this, this joy. We're all stressed more than we needed to be because we just bought into the holidays instead of Christmas. You know, I even think about our decorations. Our decorations can become a distraction. There's so much good stuff out there. And this time of year, the, the imagery of light and, and, the, and the real meaning behind the stockings and, and, and the symbolism in, in, a, in a poinsettia. And then you take these great songs that come out this time of year. That's powerful stuff. But if we're so busy and we've got so much junk that we throw out there that we miss these powerful songs, we miss these great symbols, then Rome didn't have to do it. We allowed it to happen ourselves. And as believers gather all around this world, you know, some of whom have found so much hope in Christ that they're willing to put their lives on the line. You know, there's some, some believers right now that they're so hungry for Christ that they're, they're willing to sacrifice imprisonment or death to celebrate his birth. You know, I think about how many of us, we're only given lip service. So let's not do that. Let's remind ourselves and let's covenant together this, this next month in particular to really focus on the hope we have in Christ. And to make this prayer our own. This comes out of a song called The Little Town of Bethlehem. Don't let words like this just come out as, oh, here's this traditional song that we sing this time of year. What if this was really a prayer for us? Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. What if we invited that son of David to come into our lives? And what if we said, Father, wow, you sent a good shepherd to us. And what if we pause to reflect during this season? Have I wandered? Not have I. Where have I wandered? Where, where am I not listening and responding? Where, where am I not listening to the voice of the good shepherd? Where am I allowing my own self to wander off into places that are just where I shouldn't be? And what a great time of year to just focus in and say, you sent a good shepherd. Lead me. Come with me. Abide with me. God with us. And that whole king of kings. What if this was a time of year as we, we live in this mystery of, of a king who's a baby? What if, we, what if we were intently, acutely aware of the idea of, of him being the king of our lives? And what if we were actively saying, God, is there an area where, where I'm not under your kingship? Is there an area of my life where I'm acting like I'm the king? Or someone else is the king? Is there something else that is getting the devotion that you should have? Is there some some area, some, some decision that I'm making where I'm not, where I'm just running my own show, where I'm not playing by your rules. You know, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities when it comes to treating other people. Are you, are you going to treat them the way the king says to treat one another? Or are you just going to treat them the way they treat you? See, we could go all kinds of directions with that. So it's my prayer that we'd make this prayer our own. Oh, come with us. Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. So wrestle with that as, as we, we now invite you to come forward to, um, to join us at the Lord's table. And if you're not familiar with this, um, this thing that we call communion or the Lord's Supper, in, the, in your notes on the back, I put uh, a little description about what this is. And, and if, um, if you can sincerely respond in that way, we would love for you to come forward and join us today. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. But if you want to receive from Christ... In that way, we would love for you to do so. And today, we're going to do it a little different. 
We do this every once in a while as a, as a church. Normally, we have an usher uh, that will just incur- invite you to come forward. Today, we're not going to have the ushers um, in place because there's enough going through the motions at Christmas, right? There's enough, well, I set up the tree because I always set up the tree instead of why do I set up the tree? And there's enough, we put out the stockings because we always put out the stockings instead of why do we put out the stocking? There's enough, we give gifts because we always give gifts instead of why am I giving gifts? There's enough, I play these songs because we always play these songs instead of what are these songs saying? So one of the things that we'd like to do is we come into this Christmas season, instead of having ushers say, now is your time to come forward, we'd rather have you make a decision if you'd like to come forward to say, I'm coming forward. And as I come forward, I want to come forward and say, Christ, be my shepherd. And say, Christ, be my king. And say, God, thank you that you walked among us. And you've opened these doors to everlasting life. And you've, you've made it possible for me to be born again. Does that make sense? And as they do that, as we do that, they'll be leading us in, in some, some powerful songs. Powerful songs. So let's prepare our hearts and our minds. Let's do that in part together. And then I would encourage you to do it on your own as well. So there's some prayers here that we'll pray together. Uh, And let's do that now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Let me pray. Father, we we pray now that you do what only you can do. And that is draw us to yourself. Lord, there's no words that are persuasive enough in their own power to draw somebody to you. There's, There's no willpower within us to break away from from the power that sin can have. Father, there's there's nothing, though, that can separate us from you if we allow your Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. So, Father, would you open our minds and would you open our hearts that we could see with fresh eyes this child who was the son of David. This child who came exactly when he should have come. And this child who enables us to be born again. And then, Lord, would you grant us the humility to be able to come to you, turn our lives over to you, to be our shepherd, to be our king. And, Lord, thank you. We don't say that enough. Lord, thank you for this invitation. It's so easy for the enemy to come in and and make it seem like we're giving up so much instead of being able to see with clear eyes of what we're gaining. So Lord, draw us to your table. We thank you that, that we thank you for these tangible reminders. 
these tangible things that we can feel and taste and touch that tell us you're with us. So Lord, may this be a time now where you draw people to yourself. And Lord, as one last act of solidarity, we come and we pray a prayer that you taught your disciples so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.